Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, asking, asking. You know, if, uh, if Paul was covering Alabama uh, sports, college football, he'd drive Coach Saban crazy, wouldn't he? Because he wouldn't quit asking. We think about our enemy, Satan. Nothing would make Satan happier than if the church would stop praying and quit asking. Nothing makes Satan more nervous than a church who refuses to stop praying and quit asking. One who keeps praying and one who keeps asking. R.A. Torrey said it like this, when the devil sees a man or woman who really believes in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did. Samuel Chadwick said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles. When we pray, Max Lucado said, Satan keeps you and me from prayer. He tries to position himself between us and God, but he scampers like a spook dog when we move forward in prayer. Wesley Duell said, The devil trembles when he sees God's weakest child upon his or her knees. Don't quit asking. Uh, Paul says it this way in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, may you be honored by the preaching and reading, receiving and response of your, of your word. And God's people said, when we look at this text, there's a lot in it. <laughs> Paul, Paul's doing what Paul does. Paul, Paul gets... He gets lost in all the blessings and the thanksgiving. and In the Greek, this is two sentences. He just, he just goes on and on. And so there's a lot here. But I want to bring us to the 30,000-foot view, and I want us to focus on this simple takeaway today. And it, it, it simply said, pray for people. Pray for people. <laughs> Don't pick on people. Don't pick at people. Don't pick apart people. Pray for people. Don't post against people or post at people or preach at people, but 
pray for people. Don't pull people down. Don't push them around. Don't uh, put them down. Pray for people. This, this is a theme that we find from Genesis all the way to Revelation. This theme of people praying for people. Abraham prayed for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. You get to Revelation, the bride of Christ is praying for those who are thirsty, for those who desire to take the water of life without price. We see this all through Scripture. The, the crucified Christ, during his crucifixion, is praying for the very people responsible for crucifying him. We see David praying for the child that, that Uriah's wife Bathsheba bore to him. We see Daniel praying that God's people not be destroyed. We see the elders of the church in, in James, they're praying for the unwell in the church. We see the firstborn over all creation praying for his creation. We see the good shepherd praying for his bad sheep, right? We see, we see the head of the church praying for his church. We see Hannah praying for a son. God gave her Samuel. What a blessing. If you know anybody named Samuel, you are blessed. You're welcome, church. You, 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 can, you see Jesus praying for his disciples. You see Jesus praying for those to whom his disciples would disciple. You see Jesus praying for Peter. That Peter might not be sifted as, as wheat by Satan. You see Jesus praying for believers and unbelievers. Talk about praying. You see Job. Job, talk about a job. Job prayed for his friends after they weren't so friendly. We see Job praying for his friends. We see the mediator between God and man praying for the mediation between men to God. We see Moses, who by the way, Moses knew what it was like to be fed up with people and not be a cannibal. Yet we see him praying for the very people he was fed up with. Praying for them. We see Peter praying for Tabitha to arise. We see Stephen, while he's being stoned, praying for the people throwing the stones. It's, you can't deny people praying for me. You see the twelve praying for the chosen, those seven that would serve the tables. I mean, this is all, we can go on and on and on all day. People praying for people. So I want to give you seven ways, right from the Scripture, right from the Holy Spirit in this text, that we can pray for people. Three of them are for saved people. How do I pray for a believer? Well, it's right here. The other four, how do I pray for a non-believer? It's right here. So today when you walk out of here, when you log off from here today, you're going to know exactly how to pray for believers. You're going to know exactly how to pray for unbelievers. Because God's Word tells us exactly how to do that. So the first way... First three have to do with saved people. How can we pray for saved people? How can we pray for one another? How can we pray for local churches? How can we pray for the big C church? How can we pray for followers of Christ? Here's the first way we can pray for saved people. Number one, we need to pray for saved people to know God's will. To know God's will. We need to keep asking and never cease asking and requesting for God's people to know God's will. Don't stop. Paul says, uh, we, we've, we've not ceased to pray for you. We are praying without ceasing. We have not quit asking and we're not going to quit. 
We need to make request after request after request to God like that huge Chicago magazine uh, fulfillment firm did when they requested a rancher in in Colorado to renew his subscription to National Geographic. They didn't send him one request. They didn't send him 10 requests. They didn't send him 100 requests. They sent him nearly 10,000 requests. Each a separate mailer. They had some malfunction at home office. And finally, he drove to the post office, put his money in a note, and says, I give up. Send me your magazine. We need to pray like that and never stop and never quit asking God to do what only he can do. Paul says he's doing this from the day he heard. What what was he hearing? He was hearing all about how these, we, we looked at it last week. He's heard how they are exercising their faith in Christ, how they're loving each other, and how they're hoping in heaven. He's heard about all of that. So he knows Satan's prime targets are those believers who are exercising faith, loving each other, hoping in heaven. You have a bullseye on your back, and Satan's got his finger on the trigger. You're his target. Paul knows that. He says, so I'm going to pray without ceasing, that you'll be filled with the knowledge of His will. You know, when we pray for people, and when we tell people, hey, I'm praying for you, and when we ask people, hey, in what way can I pray for you? You know, that's the greatest, one of the greatest expressions of love we can offer today. I'm convinced that when we pray for people, and when we tell people we're praying for them, when we've really prayed for them, and when we ask people in what way can you, I pray for you, we are speaking a love language from God himself. So Paul tells them, I'm praying for you, and this is what I'm praying for you. He says, we have not ceased. I love the we, I love the plural. You know why? Because praying is contagious. Paul doesn't say, I'm praying for you, and I alone are praying. We are praying for you. How can Paul use that that plural? Because... Prayer is contagious. The habit of praying, it's infectious. Now you can look around this room today and you can see that we're a little down today. We've been down. In fact, some of our staff are not here today because they either have Omicron or tested positive or maybe their spouse did or something like that. And So this Omicron, it's quite contagious, right? But if you looked at a contagion scale... Uh, this variant of the virus would not even compare to the contagiousness of prayer. It is infectious. It is contagious. And Paul says, we've not ceased to pray for you. Paul was a prayer warrior. And one of the pieces of the armor of God that we never talk about, Paul always talked about. I know you're thinking about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, sword of the spirit. But there's one piece of the armor we never talk about. And it's in verse 18 in Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Prayer is a piece of the armor of God we never talk about. And Paul can't quit talking about it. And he can't quit doing it. And so he says, we have heard since the day we heard. We have not ceased to ask. We have not ceased to pray. And ask doesn't mean simply to request. It means to demand. It's as if Paul is saying, I've got the receipt of the answer of the prayer in my hand before I ask it. 
I'm believing it that much. It's not just petitioning. It's to ask with a claim on receipt of an answer. Praying with urgency. And notice what he prays here. That they be filled with the knowledge of his will. Man, there's a lot here. Be filled with the knowledge of his will. Do you know that God's will is knowable? Did you know that? (laughs) We can know his will. And not only can we know it, we can be filled with the knowledge of his will. Man, that word filled means to permeate. It means that we can be engulfed with his will. Overwhelmed with it. To the point that it is overflowing. To the point that it is controlling us. And has a dominant influence in our life. Not in a negative way, in a positive way. Paul prays not that simply people understand God's will. But that we will be filled with his will. It will be a controlling, dominant influence in our lives. And, 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 and look, look at where do we look for this will. Look, look what he says. Fill with, with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you have two pieces there. Spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul says, my prayer is not that you'll just understand God's will. I want you to, to stand under God's will. I don't want you to merely comprehend it. I want you to apply it. Apply it to your everyday life. Apply it to the decisions you make. Apply it to everything you face. Relate it all back to God. Well, where do we get all this spiritual wisdom and insight? Look at verse number 3 in chapter number 2. Colossians 2 verse 3. In whom are hidden in Christ are hidden all the treasures... Of wisdom and knowledge. See these heretics. These false teachers were saying. Hey you got to go outside of Christ. To get all the knowledge. Paul says no sir. (laughs) It's all in Christ. And I'm praying. We're praying. That you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will. What does that mean? Here's what it means. If someone's scared. We might say they're filled with fear. If somebody's angry. We say well they're filled with anger. If someone's gentle or, or generous. We might say, hey, they're filled with kindness, right? So what does it mean to be filled with God's will? Here's what it means. It means that you want what God wants. You don't want what you want. You want what God wants. Now, you know you have a will for your life, and God has a will for your life, and these two wills butt heads all the time. You have a will for your life, God has, and they're just butting heads all the time. And when you pray, Lord, your will be done, what you're praying is, Lord, my will be gone. When you pray, Lord, your will be done, you're praying, God, may your plans happen and may my plans change. When you pray, Lord, your will be done, you're praying, God, may your will take precedence over my will. That's not easy to do, is it? Paul is praying, and he doesn't stop praying, that they might be filled with a knowledge of his will, that they may know it, they may understand it, and they may stand under it and allow it to consume them and allow it to direct them. See, knowing God's will, being filled with it and understanding it and standing under it, comprehending it and applying it, 
It has more to do with who you are on the inside than where you are on the outside. It has more to do with what's in here than what's out there. Pray for saved people. Pray for each other to know God's will. Here's a second prayer you can pray for saved people. Number two, pray for saved people to have a godly walk. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what he says here. Verse number 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, Colossians is all about Christ. And I love walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Somebody say, Lord. That's pointing us back to Christ. The Christology here in this book is on point. The study of Christ, the teaching of Christ, the theology of Christ is rich in this book. And so we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. here's, Here's what Paul is praying. You need to pray for believers as they walk and have a godly walk. You need to surround yourself with people who will pray for you behind your back. Not talk about you behind your back. Not backbite you behind your back. You need to surround yourself with people that will pray for you behind your back. That will pray for you to have a godly walk in Christ Jesus. Paul says pray for one another. I'm praying for you. We're praying for you to have a godly walk walk how many of you prefer the word walk to the word run anybody anybody of you really like running all right nobody that's good because if you raised your hand I'd say you really like lying too (laughs) I like walk rather than run We walk in a manner. That's an important word. In the Olympics, they have speed walkers. And they're they're walking fast. Now, they're going about sub-seven-minute miles. I mean, they're getting it. But one of the rules of speed walking, apparently, is you can't lose contact with the ground. At, at, At every point in time, some part of your foot, one of your feet, has to be touching the ground. In other words, you can't have both feet off the ground at the same. In other words, you can't run. You have to walk. Right? I love this terminology. We walk in the Spirit. We don't run in the Spirit. Now, some people run in the Spirit, but beware. We're called to walk in the Spirit. We're called to walk in the truth. We're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We're called to walk in newness of life. Walk with God. I love that That word walk, step by step, day by day, decision by decision, thought by thought. Praise the Lord. We're to walk and not run. Yeah, we're to run the race set before us, but we do it step by step. We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That word has a lot of weight to it, a lot of heaviness to it. I know we all examine, man, what's my worth? What's my value? At work, what am I worth? Am I replaceable? Am I replaceable at At school, at work, am I replaceable in my family? Am I replaceable in my marriage? Am I replaceable at home? What is my worth? Are we walking in a manner worthy? Is it weighty and heavy? Worthy of the Lord. Worthy of Christ. We need to pray for each other that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is lordship salvation. This isn't just a head knowledge. This is a lordship salvation. It affects every area of your life. And Paul is praying that you be filled with God's will... That you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And look at this, pleasing to Him. 
This is fascinating to me that we can even please the Lord. That should blow us away, that we can fully please Him. And when we walk in the Spirit, when we walk in truth, when we walk with God, when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, people are going to look at us like we've lost our minds. The world's going to look at that and say, I don't understand that. And you may even get persecuted. Right? That may happen as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to Him. Paul said it like this, if I were still trying to please man, I would, have not, I would not be a servant of Christ. I would not be a servant of Christ if I was still living to please man. Paul said like this in Thessalonians, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Not less and less, but more and more. We need to pray for believers to more and more walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to have a godly walk. Number three, third way we can pray for each other. Pray for saved people to do good works. Look what Paul says. In a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, look at this, bearing fruit in every good work. Somebody say good work. Yeah, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every... You know, good works... That's not, good works is, is not, that's not a bad word. It gets a bad rap because we look, we say, we're not saved by good works. We're not saved by good works. Salvation is never, ever the result of good works. Good works is always the result of salvation. Don't get that twisted. Salvation is never the result of good works. Good works is always the result of salvation. We're saved by grace alone through faith. We're saved by faith through faith alone. But faith in Christ is never alone. Once you're saved, good works is the result of that salvation. So it's a good work. We need to have good work. We need to bear fruit in every good work. You know, Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that we do not pray. We'll, 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 we'll be tempted and we'll sin and then we'll pray. God, I blew it again. God, forgive me, I blew it again. God, forgive me, I blew it again. God, forgive me, I blew it again. That's why Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, hey guys, listen. Pray to our Father in heaven to lead me not into temptation. How about let's try to pray before we sin, not after. How about let's do it on the front end and pray that we won't be led into the temptation now, does that mean you'll never sin? Of course not. But man, it's just a different way to look at prayer. We need to pray that in every good work, we would bear fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You bear that in the work you do. Everything you do. Work as unto the Lord. Every work you do, bearing fruit, obeying the great commandment, fulfilling the great commission. You know, Paul is teaching us here to pray for people when things are going well. Now, that, there's, a, there's a thread of false teaching here, but they're exercising faith. They're loving each other. They're hoping in heaven. It's going well. But he still prays for them. You know, I, I sleep pretty, pretty good at night, generally. I do. But I have, does it, has anybody ever slept with a weighted blanket? Anybody? There's a hand. 
Weighted, there's a hand. Weighted blankets equals wow. If you've not tried these, you must. You say, well, I get, I get fine sleep. Well, it'll be better if you get a weighted blanket. I'm telling you. And so oftentimes we don't think if things are going well for somebody, well, we don't need to pray for them because everything's okay. We seem to only want to pray for people when tragedy hits. When, 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 when everything's falling apart, then we, then we pray for them. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No, no. You, you pray for people when things are well. You pray for people when they're exercising faith and they're loving each other and they're hoping in heaven. Pray for them when things are good. Pray they'll bear fruit in every good work. They'll be strengthened, he says. Strengthened with all power. That means to, uh, to be made strong. That it's happened, the action's happening to you. You're being enabled to be strong. This inerrant power that is manifested power in action that comes from the Holy Spirit. I know some of you are praying for somebody who's facing just an unbelievable obstacle. I mean, it's just an un, just indescribable obstacle. But as you pray for them, God can take that obstacle and He can turn it into an opportunity by His might, by His power, by His strength, and by according to His glorious might and His power and His strength. By His dunamis, His dynamite, He can make it happen. So don't you stop praying for them. Don't you quit praying for them. In Ephesians, Paul says it like this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, not our power, but the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. And then he uses this word endurance. <laughs> that, that means the capacity to continue, <laughs> to not stop, to endure to stay at it, to stick to it and stick it out. Winston Churchill was speaking to a group of graduates and this five-foot, five-inch bulldog took the platform and, and, and the graduates, just they would, with weighted breath, they're waiting to hear these words of wisdom that he would speak to them. They just couldn't wait to hear him speak. And this was, this was later in his life, late in his life. So he stood up, he he took his place on the platform, and and this is what he said to these graduates. He said, young gentlemen, never give up, never give up, never give up, never, 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 and he walked off the platform. Stick to it. Stay at it. Bible says those who endure to the end will be saved. Don't give up. Stick at it. Stay with it. Stick it out. And he talks about patience. Well, to endure, you're going to have to have some patience. <laughs> you're going to have to have some calmness in, 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 in the midst of trouble. You, you, you're going to have to have some state of calmness when you're provoked by people, right? That's patience. And, and then God doesn't expect you to do this and endure and just grit it out and never have any joy. So Paul says, with joy. With joy, with this presence, his presence in the midst of any trouble that you're having to endure. I want to show you a picture of just sheer joy. You can see it on this lady's face. You can see it on the lady behind her with her arms like this. It's not a great picture, just quality of the picture. It was taken in 1945. This is a picture of Jewish prisoners... They've been intercepted. 
by allied forces. And they've just learned, in this picture, they've just learned that the train would not be heading to a concentration camp. But they've been liberated. They've been set free. And, and you know, there's something about being set free and liberated and the joy that comes with that. And so knowing, although we have much to endure in this life, we should still have the joy of the Lord because we've been liberated and set free. So pray for believers to, to have that, to, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to have a godly walk, to know God's will, and to do good works. Paul didn't have a, so much a prayer list with people on it. Paul had a prayer life with people in it. I think that's how we need to approach prayer. Yeah, you, you need to list out some folks, sure, that, that are saved, that God's put on your heart to pray for. And I, I, I pray you'll use these prayers. And then some that are unsaved, and we'll get to those in a minute. But, but let your prayer, let your life be, be, be a prayer. Not, not just have a prayer list, but a prayer life, not with people just on it, but people in it. So if you want to pray for saved people, how do I do that? Here's the formula. But you you can't get it, understand, when you look at this, you have to get the sequence right. The people you pray for, they, they cannot do good works for God unless they're walking with God. And they can't walk with God unless they are filled with the, with His will. So pray for them to know His will, to have a godly walk, to do good works. Don't get that mixed up. This is exactly how we're to pray for each other as believers. So get after it and pray. Now what about unbelievers? How do we pray for people that are far from God, that are lost? You know some lost people. How do we pray for them? Well, Paul gives us four ways to pray for them. And we see it in number 4, 5, 6, and 7 here. And of course, I understand that verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, Paul is giving thanks for the fact that we've been qualified, we've been rescued, we've been transferred, we've been delivered, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven. But the best way to be thankful for that, the best way to be thankful that you've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son, the best way for you to be thankful for Him is to share that with somebody else. And to pray for them to be qualified. And pray for them to be transferred. And pray for them to be redeemed. And pray for them to be forgiven. So how do we pray for lost people? How do we pray for unsaved people? Number one, pray for unsaved people to be qualified. Somebody say qualified. Pray for them to be qualified. To share in the inheritance with the saints in light. Somebody say light. Man, one of the best ways to share that you have, uh, that, that you're sharing an inheritance of the saints with the saints in light is to share that. I haven't been able to stop sharing this. I learned this the other day, and it's just, well, I can't stop sharing it. So you may already know this. If you don't, just, just entertain me for a minute, okay? But this is something I've learned that I've shared with some people. And, and I, get, I get, just get so excited about it. It's so simple, but I'm, I guess I'm easily amused. I don't know. But this is amazing to me. L- look at this. Watch the back of my phone, okay, as I do this. Watch the back of it. Siri Lumos. Did the light come on? You see that? 
Watch this. Siri knocks. Might go off. Did it go off? No. Siri knocks. No. Siri, flashlight off. See that? Did it go off? Siri, torch on. Isn't that cool? Siri, torch off. Did it go off? Isn't that awesome? I shared that with somebody the other day. Their face lit up. They couldn't believe it. They got their phone. Well, mine do. They had an older phone. It worked. They didn't. Their light, their face lit up. Man, what, what better news? Man, we, we can point people the fact they can share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And, and, and man, there's nothing like when you share the gospel with somebody and the light bulb goes off. And they figure it out. Oh, I'm a sinner. I've been separated from God. But Jesus is the Savior. Come to bring me back to God. And the light goes off. There's nothing like it in all the world. So we should pray for unsaved people to be qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That should be our prayer. Paul says it like this. This one, this God, this Father, He has qualified us. Who has qualified Meaning the action is happening to us. We're not qualifying ourselves. Church, you didn't qualify yourself. God qualified you through the only one who is qualified to qualify. And that's Christ. He's the only one qualified to qualify you for heaven. And if you're in Christ, you've been qualified for heaven. And you've been qualified to experience the riches of His grace and mercy in this life now. That's sharing in the inheritance of the saints in light. Jesus alone is qualified to do that. Why didn't God let Adam and Eve back into the garden after they sinned? Why didn't he just let them back in? Why didn't he let them back in? You know why? They disqualified themselves. They disqualified themselves. They sin disqualifies us. But in Genesis 3.15, we see the promise of the qualifier. Jesus, the one who would, who, would, who would crush the serpent's head, although the serpent would bruise his heel, he's the qualifier. He alone is qualified Qualify us. So pray for unsaved people to be qualified. Number five on your outline, pray for unsaved people to be rescued. Pray for them to be rescued. It's fascinating when you read the book of Acts. And we read how Peter is in prison. And Herod has assigned soldiers to imprison him. And there's four of them. Two are chained to him, one on either side. Two are outside his cell. And it happens over a day, a night, and another day uh, that he's chained in this prison. And these soldiers serve three, four-hour shifts, and then they're relieved by four new soldiers. So if you do all the math there, you, you can get to 32 total soldiers were assigned by Herod to imprison Paul, to keep him in chains. 32. 32 soldiers. God needed one angel to get him out. One angel to get him out. Why? Because the church was praying for Peter while he was in prison. While he's in chains, they're praying for him to be released. And God sent the angel to release him. Augustine said it like this, Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. So I don't understand it all. But some reason, God wants to use us. To pray for unsaved people to be qualified, 
to be rescued, to be delivered, to be transferred. So don't you stop praying for them. Paul says he has delivered us. He has rescued us. He has literally drug us out of danger. He has pulled us out of danger. The word means to translate us from one place to the other. From the domain of darkness. From the jurisdiction of darkness. I was reading about a prisoner in 1998. He was imprisoned for 10 years for having methamphetamines with the intent to distribute. A couple years later, his charges were overturned because they figured out there was some illegal searches to do with his case. And so the judge threw it out. He wrote a letter to have him released, but that letter got lost. The order got lost, and so he sat in prison. Well, a couple years later, the prisoner just decided to write the judge a nice note asking to be released. The judge read the letter. Impressed by his politeness, he let him go because he asked him to let him go. We need to ask God to let these people go from the bondage of spiritual domain of darkness. Let them go. And don't quit asking until God sets them free. Number six, we need to pray for unsaved people to be transferred. God, Paul says it this way. He has transferred us to the kingdom of God. He has relocated us. He's given us a new address from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has caused us to move. He's removed us from there and put us over here. We should be thankful. Give thanks to the Father for he has qualified us. He has rescued us. He has transferred us. You know, in college sports, they have this transfer portal, right? Where an athlete can go from one school to the other with limited restrictions and maybe even limited penalties. You know, they can just jump from one to the other. I wish I had a transfer portal. And I could put that train on Hamill Road in that transfer portal and just have it disappear. Or I could put Pepsi in the transfer portal and have it disappear. Or mayonnaise in the transfer portal and have it disappear. Just gone. Just transferred out of here. God has taken us from one location and he's put us in another location. One of these is the domain of darkness. The the one we've been transferred to is the kingdom of his beloved son who has a king and his name is Jesus. So pray for people, unsaved people, to be qualified, to be transferred, to be rescued. And last one, pray for unsaved people to be redeemed. You know, church, it's time for us to put down our assumptions about people. We make too many assumptions about people. We do. We need to take those assumptions and put them down, and we need to take up our assignment to pray for people. That's what you're assigned to do. And that's what I'm assigned to do. To pray for the saved people that you know. To be filled with God's will. To have a godly walk. And to do good works. And to pray for the unsaved. To be redeemed. Verse 14. In whom in Christ we have redemption. We've been redeemed. You know what that means? We've been bought at a price. We've been ransomed. And we've been released. Not just bought from one slave owner to the next. We've been bought and released. We've been ransomed and released. We've been redeemed. We've been set free. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin by dying on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood to redeem us, to buy us back, and to let us go free. The truth, Jesus says, I'm the truth. This truth will set you free from the spiritual bondage 
that you're in. You can be redeemed. You can be ransomed and released. It only happens in Christ. God the Father is the only one who can redeem us and who can forgive us. But the only way he can redeem us and forgive us is through the shed blood of Jesus. That's it. There is no other way. God's the only one that can do it, but the only way God can do it is through the shed blood of Christ. God can do it no other way, period. Jesus is the one who satisfied God's wrath. You and I could die a billion times, and it would never satisfy God's wrath. Christ died once, and it satisfied God's wrath. And he bought us back and then sets us free. That our, we have the forgiveness of sins. How many of you know your sins are forgiven? You have forgiveness of sins. What? Past, present, future. They're forgiven in Christ. In the Old Testament, you can read about ashes of the sin offering. In Leviticus 4, they used to take the ashes of the sin offering and pour them on the altar. Ashes. Ashes. 